This is a recording of Thou Art the Fruit of My Loins, the interrelated symbolism and meanings of the names Joseph and Ephraim in ancient scripture by Matthew L. Bowen and Lauren Blake Spendlove. Originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 28, 2018, pages 273 through 298, read by Lauren Blake Spendlove. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com. Abstract To the ancient Israelite ear, the name Ephraim sounded like or connoted doubly fruitful. Joseph explains the naming of his son Ephraim in terms of the Lord's having caused him to be fruitful. Genesis 41.52 the fruitfulness motif in the Joseph narrative cycle, Genesis 37-50, through 50, constitutes the culmination of a larger, overarching theme that begins in the creation narrative and is reiterated in the patriarchal narratives. Fruitfulness, especially as expressed in the collocation Fruit of One's Loins, dominates in the fuller version of Genesis 48 and 50, contained in the Joseph Smith translation, a version of which Lehi and his successors had upon the brass plates. Fruit and fruitfulness, as a play on the name Ephraim, further served to extend the symbolism and meaning of the name Joseph. May he, God, add, may he increase, and the etiological meanings given to his name in Genesis 30, 23-24. The importance of the interrelated symbolism and meanings of the name Joseph and Ephraim for Book of Mormon writers, who themselves sought the blessings of divine fruitfulness, for example Lehi, Nephi, and Jacob, is evident in their use of the fuller version of the Joseph cycle, for example in Lehi's paranesis to his son Joseph in Second Nephi 3. It is further evident in their use of the prophecies of Isaiah and Zenos's allegory of the olive tree, both of which utilize divine fruitfulness imagery in describing the apostasy and restoration of Israel, including the northern kingdom, or Ephraim. The shape and valuing of the name of Joseph's youngest son, Ephraim, suggests that it meant or was thought to mean doubly fruitful or twice fruitful, as a dual noun. The lexical association between the name Ephraim and the idea of double fruitfulness suggests the birthright status he acquired, though he was the younger of Joseph's two named sons. See Genesis 48, 13-22. It further points to the status of the tribe of Ephraim afterward held in Israel as the Lord's firstborn. I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn, Bukuri. Jeremiah 31.9 C.F. Bikurim equals firstfruits, and Joseph as the Lord's firstborn bull, Bakur Shoro. Deuteronomy 33.17 Ephraim represented Joseph's portion, Shechem, above his brethren, Genesis 48.22, or double portion, Hebrew, P. Shnaim, 
belonging thereto, cf. especially DNC 133.34. In this article, we explore the name Ephraim and its Genesis etiology. God hath caused me, Joseph, to be fruitful, Hephrani. Genesis 41.52 As an extension of the double etiology for Joseph's name offered in Genesis 30.23-24 He hath taken away, or gathered in, Asaph, and he shall add, or may he add, Yosef. To this end we examine the various texts in the Hebrew Bible that interpret the name Ephraim in terms of fruitfulness, often also employing the image of branches. When examined in the context of the biblical etiology for the name Ephraim and the prophetic biblical texts that deal with Joseph and Ephraim, the collocation fruit of the loins in JST Genesis 48 and 50 and in the Book of Mormon emerges as an important conceptual play on the name Joseph and wordplay on the name Ephraim, making the latter name an important symbol of fruit, posterity, being fruitful and the growing and fructification of branches. God hath caused me to be fruitful, an etiology for Ephraim. The Genesis narrative offers paranomastic explanations for all the major patriarchs. Abraham, in terms of his destiny to become a father of many nations, Av Hamon Goyim, Genesis 17.4-5, Isaac, in terms of laughter or rejoicing in posterity, Tzahach, Joseph, in terms of grabbing the heel or supplanting, Akav, wrestling, Avak, and embracing Chavak, and Joseph in terms of both taking away or gathering Asaph, and adding Yasaf. The Genesis text explains Joseph's naming of Ephraim in terms of the verb para, be fruitful, and the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God had caused me to be fruitful, Hephrani, in the land of my affliction, Genesis 41.52. Joseph's reported explanation of his son's name in terms of a causative verbal form of pari is not strictly etymological, nor is it so intended. The main narratological and rhetorical point is to tie the name Ephraim with fruit and fruitfulness. The narrator's inclusion of this explanation of Ephraim's name in terms of fruitfulness and implicitly is doubly fruitful or twice fruitful speaks not simply of Joseph's fruitfulness in Egypt but to Ephraim's tribal destiny within Israel to become again fruitful among the tribes of Israel. CF Hosea 13:7, CF Zechariah 10:7 through 10. Ephraim would embody the Tevuot fruits which Joseph was destined to inherit. I will make thee fruitful. Jacob recounts to Joseph the blessing the Lord had given him at Luz or Bethel, Genesis 35.11, which was formerly a reiteration of the covenant the Lord had made with Abraham his grandfather and Isaac his father. Here, however, Jacob articulates the content of the blessing in such a way as to recall the first blessing and commandment given to created life. And I, God, bless them, saying, Be fruitful, Peru, and multiply and fill the waters in the earth, 
and let fowl multiply in the earth. Genesis 1.22, Moses 2.22. Then to Adam and Eve in the garden, and God blessed them, and I, God, said unto them, Be fruitful, Peru, and multiply and replenish, fill the earth. Genesis 1.28, Moses 2.28. And subsequently reiterated with Noah, and God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, Peru, and multiply and replenish, fill the earth. Genesis 9.1 However, Jacob's description of his blessing further plays on the name Ephraim, doubly fruitful, and ties its fulfillment to all of the foregoing. And God Almighty said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, Mafrecha, and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee, for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Genesis 48, 4-5 Jacob acknowledges Joseph's sons Ephraim and Manasseh as the particular fulfillment of the blessings and promises the Lord gave to him as recorded in Genesis 28, 3. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, veafrecha, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And 35, 11, be fruitful, pari, and multiply. The same blessings and promises regarding fruitfulness now belong to Joseph through his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. The Fruit of My Loins In the book of Acts we read that King David received a promise from God that Christ would be descended from the fruit of his loins. The phrase, fruit of his loins, hereafter referred to as FL, for fruit of X loins, is rarely used in the scriptures. It stands unattested in the King James Version of the Old Testament, although it is attested in the Joseph Smith translation, hereafter JST, and occurs only once in the New Testament, see above, once in the Doctrine and Covenants, and once in the Pearl of Great Price. However, FL, including its variations, fruit of my loins and fruit of thy loins, is attested nearly twenty times in the Book of Mormon. All of these occurrences of FL, with one exception, are found in a single chapter of the Book of Mormon, in Lehi's blessing of his son Joseph, 2 Nephi 3. FL Usage in the Book of Mormon In the first three verses of 2 Nephi 3, Lehi directly addresses and blesses his son Joseph. In verses 4 and 5, he introduces the FL phrase and transitions the attention from his son Joseph to his ancestor Joseph, for whom his son has been named. For behold, thou art the fruit of my loins, and I am a descendant of Joseph, which was carried captive into Egypt. And great was the covenants of the Lord which he made unto Joseph. Wherefore, Joseph truly saw our day, and he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. 
In verses 6 through 21, Lehi mostly quotes the writings of his ancestor Joseph, presumably from the brass plates, in which he records the use of the FL phrase an additional 15 times for a total of 17 occurrences. See table 1 below. While both Lehi and Joseph use the FL phrase twice in this chapter, it is clear from Table 1 that the Lord is the most prolific user of the collocation, using it 13 times, as is also suggested by the distribution of its use in 2 Nephi 3. In addition to these 17 uses of the FL phrase in Table 1, the Lord also used three additional but closely related phrases which are worth mentioning. See Table 2 below. Table 1 summarizes all uses of the FL collocation in 2 Nephi 3 and identifies the speaker and source of the phrase. Why the FL collocation? So why would this single chapter in the Book of Mormon use this obscure FL collocation with such frequency when it is rarely found in other books of Scripture, including in the other books and chapters of the Book of Mormon? The answer to that question largely resides within the stories of Jacob's adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh as Israel and of Jacob blessing his sons in Genesis 49. Just as Lehi blessed his children and grandchildren prior to his death, 2 Nephi 4.12, Jacob, Israel, also gathered his sons and grandchildren around him in the land of Egypt to give them each a final blessing. When blessing Joseph, Jacob said, Joseph is a fruitful bough, ben porat, even a fruitful bough, ben porat, fruitful son, see below, by a well, whose branches run over the wall. Twice in this verse, Jacob referred to his son Joseph as fruitful. When Rachel's firstborn son was born, she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add Yosef to me another son, Genesis 30:24. Joseph's name in Hebrew, Yosef, is a third-person causative, hephil, juicive form of the verb yasaf, meaning to add or increase. Later, when Joseph's only full brother was born, his mother called this new son Ben-Oni, Genesis 35.18. However, apparently not fully pleased with the name, Jacob renamed his son Benjamin. While Jacob did not rename Joseph, he did associate Joseph's name with the idea of being fruitful in his blessing, a fitting extension of the original meaning, may he add or may he increase. Earlier in the Genesis narratives, Isaac blessed Jacob that God Almighty would make him fruitful, and make thee fruitful, veafrecha, and multiply him so that he would become a multitude of people, Genesis 28.3. Later, the Lord himself reaffirmed the blessing when he proclaimed, I am God Almighty, be fruitful, put ye, and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Genesis 35.11. Interestingly, this divine imperative for Jacob to be fruitful comes after the birth of Joseph, the eleventh of twelve sons, which is suggestive of the role that Joseph and his posterity will have in making Jacob fruitful. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Fruitful son Joseph. 
Jacob was blessed and commanded to be fruitful, and Joseph embodies the fulfillment of that promise and command. The KJV renders the opening line of Israel's blessing to Joseph as, Joseph is a fruitful bough. But a literal translation from Hebrew yields, A fruitful son is Joseph. Ben porat Yosef. One could even understand this wording as a blessing from Israel that his fruitful son will increase. Yosef. Cf. Genesis 30.24 Taken together, these facts explain why the Lord repeatedly referred to Joseph's descendants as the fruit of his loins in Second Nephi 3. Joseph is fruitful. That Lehi and Joseph use the FL collocation to refer to their own descendants indicates that they were also aware of the special significance of the FL collocation. Lehi told his son Joseph, Thou art the fruit of my loins, and I am a descendant of Joseph. Second Nephi 3.4 The first line, Thou art the fruit of my loins, parallels the second, I am a descendant of Joseph. In essence, Lehi was saying that his own son Joseph, the fruitful son, was the fruit of his loins in the same sense that he was the fruit of his father Joseph, the fruitful son of Jacob. In a poetic way, Lehi's son Joseph is both fruit, as the son of Lehi, and fruitful, named after their common ancestor Joseph, whose name is etiologized with the harvest verb asaf, gather in, bring in, take away and its actual etymological source, the verb yasaf, in the sense of adding a son or a branch, bane, i.e. fruit or posterity. We propose that the abundant use of the FL collocation in JST Genesis 48 and 50 and in the Book of Mormon is best explained as an onomastic wordplay on an allusion to the interrelated meanings of the names Joseph, may he add, and Ephraim, doubly fruitful. Doubly fruitful. Ephraim is fulfillment or extension of Joseph's name. Prior to the seven years of famine arriving in Egypt, Joseph's wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipherah, priest of On, gave birth to two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Genesis narrator reports Joseph's naming these two sons as follows. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, Manasseh, principal form of Nasha, one who causes to forget. For God said, He hath made me forget, Nashani, all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, a dual form from the root Pari Para, to be fruitful. For God hath caused me to be fruitful, Hifrani, or made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Genesis 41, 51-52 Years after Israel and the rest of his family arrived in Egypt during the time of famine, we read that Israel fell ill. So Joseph went to his father's house and took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Genesis 48.1 When Joseph arrived at his father's house, several interesting events occurred. Number one, Israel first recounted how God had appeared to him years earlier and had blessed him that he would be fruitful and would multiply and make of him a multitude of people. Genesis 48, 3-4 Number 2. He then informed Joseph that his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were not only to be counted as Joseph's sons, 
but also is Israel's, just as Reuben and Simeon. Genesis 48.5 Number 3. Whether at this time or another, Israel blessed his two new sons, placing his right hand on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh. Joseph tried to correct his father, Not so, my father, for this Manasseh is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. Israel, however, responded, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Genesis 48, 14-20 Number 4. Israel gave an extra or double portion to Joseph, twice as much as his brothers, showing that the position of firstborn had passed from Reuben to Joseph and to Joseph's descendants. Genesis 48:22. Number 5. The extra or double portion given to Joseph would also seem to reflect the name of Joseph's youngest son, Ephraim. In Hebrew, one could express double portion with the dual construction Pishanaim, which rhymes with Ephraim. But here in Genesis 48.22, the narrator opts to use the expression one portion above, Shechem, shoulder portion, with the preposition Al, above. The narrator appears to have chosen the noun Shechem as a word play on Shechem, the place where Jacob sent his son Joseph to check on the brothers in Genesis 37, and where he did not find them. Shechem is consistently identified with the tribal territory of Ephraim in the Hebrew Bible. Joshua 27 Shechem in Mount Ephraim Shechem Behar Ephraim Joshua 21.21 for they gave them Shechem, with her suburbs in Mount Ephraim, Behar Ephraim, to be a city of refuge for the slayer. 1 Kings 12.25 Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, Shechem Behar Ephraim, and dwelt therein. And 1 Chronicles 6.67 And they gave unto them of the cities of refuge Shechem in Mount Ephraim, Shechem Behar Ephraim with her suburbs. Slight variations on Shechem Behar Ephraim, Shechem in Mount Ephraim, or Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, virtually constitute a stereotyped phrase. The God of thy fathers shall bless thee, and the fruit of thy loins. The JST version of Genesis 48 makes an explicit connection between the name Ephraim and the FL collocation. In fact, the text attributes the initial attestation of this phrase to Jacob rather than to Joseph, who uses it most. As noted previously, Genesis 48 explains why the names Ephraim and Manasseh were called Israel, i.e. their respective names were used as separate tribal designations within Israel rather than coming under the name of Joseph. And now, of thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee in e into Egypt. Behold, they are mine, and the God of my fathers shall bless them, even as Reuben and Simeon they shall be blessed, for they are mine. Wherefore they shall be called after my name, therefore they were called Israel. 
And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance in the tribes. Therefore they were called the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. JST Genesis 48, 5-6 Changes from the KJV in bolded italics. JST's ideological repetition of the name Ephraim here is significant in that it firmly sets up what follows in the restored text of Jacob's prophecy as a prophetic wordplay on the name Ephraim. Hence, the first two instances of the FL idiom thus occur as a wordplay on the name Ephraim in JST. And Jacob said unto Joseph, When the God of my father appeared unto me in Luz in the land of Canaan, he swore unto me that he would give unto me and unto my seed the land for an everlasting possession. Therefore, O my son, he hath blessed me in raising thee up to be a servant unto me in saving my house from death, in delivering my people, thy brethren, from famine, which was sore in the land. Wherefore, the God of thy father shall bless thee, and the fruit of thy loins, that they shall be blessed above thy brethren and above thy father's house. For thou hast prevailed, and thy father's house hath bowed down unto thee, even as it was shown unto thee, before thou wast sold into Egypt by the hands of thy brethren. Wherefore thy brethren shall bow down unto thee from generation to generation, unto the fruit of thy loins forever. For thou shalt be a light unto my people, to deliver them in the days of their captivity from bondage and to bring salvation unto them when they are together bowed down under sin. JST Genesis 48, 7-11 Jacob's use of fruit, Hebrew pari, in the FL collocation to describe Joseph's posterity who would be blessed above Joseph's brethren clearly alludes both to the name Ephraim and to the birthright blessing that Ephraim's posterity would receive. Moreover, Jacob's prophecy recalls the harvest imagery of Joseph's dream. Your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance, Vatishta Chavena, to my sheaf. Genesis 37.7 Pronouncing that prophecy fulfilled, Thy father's house hath bowed down unto thee, even as it was shown unto thee. JST Genesis 48.10 the Genesis narrative mentions that this happened several times when Joseph's brothers came to buy grain, cf. sheaves in Egypt. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Genesis 42.6 And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house, and bowed themselves to him to the earth. Genesis 43.26 And they answered, Thy servant our father is in good health, he is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. Genesis 43.28 Jacob also prophesies future iterative fulfillment of Joseph's dream. Wherefore thy brethren shall bow down unto thee from generation to generation, unto the fruit of thy loins forever. JST Genesis 48.10 It is intriguing to consider the imagery of Lehi's dream as reflecting Joseph's dream in this light. They came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. First Nephi 8.30 
It has been argued elsewhere that Mormons saw a fulfillment of this prophetic dream in the obeisance or worship of Jesus at the temple in Bountiful, a toponym, incidentally, originally given to a place of abundant fruit, cf. the names Rabbah and Ephratah, fruitful. One wonders whether Mormon considered the place name important to the fulfillment of Lehi's dream in terms of what transpired at Bountiful. And when they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. Third Nephi 11:16-17. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and did kiss his feet. Third Nephi 11:19. And they did all, both they who had been healed and they who were whole, bowed down at his feet and did worship him. And as many as could come for the multitude did kiss his feet, insomuch that they did bathe his feet with their tears. Third Nephi 17:10. The fruit of which the faithful Lamanites and Nephites fell down and partook was the fruit of the one who embodies everything that the tree of life represents. First Nephi 11:16-24, the one born at Bethlehem, Ephratah, house of bread. See especially Micah 5:2, C.F. Matthew 2:1-16, Luke 2:4 and 15. Out of the fruit of my loins. The word played, Joseph is a fruitful son or fruitful bough, from Jacob's blessing upon Joseph, finds another immediate echo in the prophecy of Joseph in Egypt. Joseph takes up his father Jacob's use of the FL idiom. Prior to his death, JST Genesis 50 preserves a version of a prophecy of Joseph that Lehi had available to him on the plates of brass, from which he quotes in Second Nephi 3. The Lord hath visited me, and I have obtained a promise of the Lord, that out of the fruit of my loins the Lord God will raise up a righteous branch out of my loins. And unto thee, whom my father Jacob hath named Israel, a prophet, not the Messiah who is called Shiloh. And this prophet shall deliver my people out of Egypt in the days of thy bondage. JST Genesis 50 here, Joseph's prophecy primarily has the meaning of the name of his son Ephraim in mind, but perhaps secondarily the interrelated meaning of his own name. May he, God, add in the idea of God raising up a righteous branch out of his loins. The subsequent JST Genesis 50 text of Joseph's FL prophecy about a choice seer in the latter days uses the word fruit, Hebrew pari, Egyptian prt, an additional ten times for a total of eleven. As noted above, the abundant use of the FL idiom in Second Nephi 3 is comprised of Lehi's quotation of a text from the brass plates akin to JST Genesis 50 and his use and interpretation of that text for his son Joseph. These restored texts do not merely help us appreciate how much the figures and names of Joseph and Ephraim were originally bound up with the blessings of the patriarchs and especially fruitfulness, but also how important Joseph's descendants are to the fulfillment of those promises. The latter-day choice seer would fulfill a key role, arguably the key role among these descendants. The children of Israel were fruitful, Israel's increase in Egypt. 
The Exodus narrative records the initial fulfillment of the promises made to Jacob and Joseph. The text accordingly emphasizes that the Israelites were fruitful. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful, paru, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Exodus 1, 6-7 Here again the narrator invokes the blessing of Jacob upon Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful son, or fruitful bough, i.e., the Bnei Yisrael are fruitful children. Although the name Ephraim is not present in the text per se, in view of the foregoing wordplay on Ephraim in terms of para pari, the narrator creates a wordplay on Ephraim inasmuch as Ephraim has become the firstborn and had received the birthright blessing. Thus, by means of the ongoing theme of fruitfulness together with wordplay on Ephraim carried over from Genesis, the name Ephraim also becomes a symbol for Israel's fruitfulness in Egypt. The psalmist makes an allusion to these events in Psalms 105. He includes the familiar wordplay on Ephraim in terms of fruitfulness, and he increased, Weyeper, literally, made fruitful, his people greatly, and made them stronger than their enemies, Psalms 105.24. In this instance, the verb para approaches the hefil form of yasaf in meaning, the psalmist emphasizes the fulfillment of Jacob's blessing on Joseph in the fruitfulness of Israel in Egypt prior to the Exodus. Though he be fruitful among his brethren, wordplay on Ephraim in Hosea. Far and away the biblical prophet writer who exhibits the most versatility in the rhetorical and literary treatment of the name Ephraim is the 8th century prophet Hosea. He repeatedly creates paranomastic wordplays on Ephraim in terms of the roots pari, fruit, para, rafa, heel, pere, ass, among others. Hosea's wordplay on Ephraim finally comes home to fruitfulness in Hosea 13. The prophet recalls Jacob's blessing upon Joseph as fruitful son, Genesis 49.22, in chiding the northern kingdom of Israel, often referred to by the name of its dominant tribe, Ephraim. The iniquity of Ephraim, Ephraim, is bound up, his sin is hid, the sorrows of a travailing woman come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave, I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Though he be fruitful, Yafri, among his brethren, an east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, and his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Samaria shall become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. Hosea 13:12-16. In the Masoretic text, the verb form yapri, pari para, though he be fruitful, clearly functions as a wordplay on Ephraim and its connotation doubly fruitful. From a text-critical perspective, however, several difficulties exist. 
Some ancient witnesses, for example, Septuagint and Peshitta, attest a vorlage with the word parad, divide, rather than pari para. Further complicating matters, the word understood in the Masoretic tradition as a preposition, beit yod nun, bain, between, among, reads beit nun, bain, son, in the Leningrad Codex. The phrase bain achim can thus be variously translated, a son of brothers, siblings, among brethren, for example, N.A.B., though he be fruitful among his fellows, N.I.V., even though he thrives among his brothers, or understanding Achim as a plural of the Egyptian loanword Ahu, among the reeds, for example, N.R.S.V., although he may flourish among rushes or brothers, N.J.P.S., although he may flourish among the reeds. However, one chooses to render this crux interpretum, Hosea emphasizes the Ephraimite hill country's rarefied status, and by extension, tribal Ephraim's birth status. Nonetheless, by doing so, Hosea serves to condemn wickedness and apostasy that have fructified within the northern kingdom of Israel before and during the prophet Hosea's time, i.e. the 8th century BCE. In consequence, Ephraim's fruitfulness will, for the near and intermediate future, become unfruitfulness. Hosea again uses wordplay on Ephraim in terms of fruit and subsequently describes Ephraim's unfruitful condition as divine justice overtakes them. Ephraim, Ephraim, is smitten, their root is dried up, they shall bear no fruit, pari. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit, Mahamde of their womb, Hosea 9.16. Ephraim's unfruitfulness here means deprivation of posterity, including the violent loss of the beloved fruit of their womb. Still another of Hosea's prophecies, one that looks forward to the return of Ephraim, tribe and nation, to the Lord and its healing, makes abundant use of fruit and fructification images. Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves, parim, or fruit, septuagint, carpon, of our lips. Ashur shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. I will heal, erfa, their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow, ye prach, as the lily, and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn, and grow, weyi prehu, as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit, peryecha, found. Who is wise, and he shall understand these things? 
prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Hosea 14, 1-9, Masoretic Text 14, 2-10. From a text-critical standpoint, the first fruit image is ambiguous. The Masoretic Text understands the Hebrew consonants Pe-Re-Shod-Mem as calves, parim, while the Septuagint renders the same consonants in Greek as karpon, fruit. In either case, we are dealing with an intentional wordplay on Ephraim, as a profusion of additional similar-sounding words suggest. We should mention here that the phrases Ashur will not save us, and in thee the fatherless find mercy, play on the names Hosea and Lo Ruhamah, respectively. They emphasize the mitigation of Ephraim's punishment and thus the restoration of Ephraim's fruit. This is also the force of the next two words, Yiprach, he shall grow, and Weyiprehu, and they shall grow. In both instances, Hosea enhances the fruitfulness imagery of the surrounding text with his use of the verb para, sprout, shoot, i.e. grow. The verb forms Yiprach and Weyiprehu thus function as paranomasia on the name Ephraim and its connotation doubly fruitful. Following Israel Ephraim's apostasy and repentance, they will again fruitfully grow and spread abroad. All of this leads to the climactic wordplay in the Lord's response to Israel Ephraim's repentance and denunciation of idols. From me is thy fruit, Per Yecha found. The day will come when the Lord himself will confront Israel Ephraim with the truth. He himself is source of Israel's and Ephraim's fruitfulness. Hosea's prophecy seems to presuppose a time and a situation in which Israel and Ephraim, in spite of past apostasy, scattering and exile, have grown gloriously fruitful. Fruitful Branches Wordplay on Ephraim in Isaiah In a similar way, several texts in the corpus of Isaiah's writings employ language that echoes or recalls Genesis material that deals with Joseph and Ephraim. These passages also employ forms of the root pari para and parach juxtaposed with branch terminology of different kinds, evoking the idea of fruitful branches. The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth excellent. One of the first Isianic prophecies, in terms of the present canonical order, that looks forward to the fructification of Israel comes in Isaiah 4. Although Isaiah does not directly mention the names Joseph and Ephraim, the text hints at their names through the use of the phrase Esof Herpatenu to take away our reproach, the noun pari fruit and branch imagery. Genesis thirty twenty three through twenty four and forty nine twenty two And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach, Asaf Elohim Herpati. And she called his name Joseph, Yosef, and said, The Lord shall add, Yosef, to me another son, Bain. Joseph is a fruitful bough, Bain Porat, fruitful son, even a fruitful bough, Bain Porat, by a well, whose branches, Banot, literally daughters, run over the wall. Isaiah 4, 1-2, also Second Nephi 14, 1-2, and in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread, and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name, 
to take away our reproach, a sof chirpatenu. In that day shall the branch, shemach, of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit, pari, of the earth shall be excellent and comely, tip eret, for them that are escaped of Israel. The phrase, a sof chirpatenu, constitutes an echo of and possibly a direct allusion to the first part of the dual etiology for Joseph's name, Genesis 30:23-24, in terms of Rachel's statement, Esof herpatinu, God hath taken away my reproach. Not only do we find in these two passages the only combination of the verb asaf and herpa in the Hebrew Bible, but viewed together, these two passages help us to see the idiom Asaf Herpa as an image of fructification. Rachel becomes fruitful in the birth of her son Joseph, and doubly fruitful with the birth of Benjamin, when the Lord adds to her mother another son, Bain, or Bow Branch, Genesis 49.22. The northern kingdom of Israel's, Ephraim's fruitfulness, or the lack thereof, can be further discerned in texts like Isaiah 28.1-3-4, which use the name Ephraim as an inverted negative symbol of fruitfulness. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty, Tip Arto, is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet, and the glorious beauty, Tiparto, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower. Here too, however, the prophecy envisions this unfruitful condition's eventual reversal. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory, and for a diadem of beauty, Tipara, unto the residue of his people. This prophecy plays negatively on the name Ephraim in terms of the noun Tipara from the root Paar. A branch shall grow out of his roots, Isaiah 11, 2 Nephi 21. Nevertheless, although some of the prophecies of Isaiah inveigh against the sinfulness of Ephraim, Isaiah 11 ultimately has a hopeful outlook. Joseph Smith records that Moroni, as an angel or resurrected personage, quoted Isaiah 11 in its entirety no less than four times, with the explanation that it was about to be fulfilled. Thus, Latter-day Saints usually understand Isaiah 11 as constituting a prophecy regarding the Latter-day gathering of Israel and the millennial reign of the Messiah. The prophecy, which concludes with a positive declaration regarding the broken and sometimes tumultuous relationship between Ephraim, Israel, and Judah, begins with the description of a fruitful branch. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, Netzer, shall grow out, Yipre, of his roots, Isaiah 11.1. 1. The verb Yipre, from Pari Para, to be fruitful, echoes the name Ephraim. When Isaiah returns to the subject of Jesse's roots near the end of Isaiah 11, he uses language that evokes the double etiology of the name Joseph in direct connection with the name Ephraim. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, 
and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosef, the second time, to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, and from Egypt, and from Pathros, and from Cush, and from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble Weasaf, the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Isaiah eleven ten through thirteen, second Nephi twenty one ten through thirteen. This prophecy quoted and alluded to repeatedly in the Book of Mormon. For example, Second Nephi six fourteen twenty one eleven through twelve twenty five seventeen twenty nine one Jacob six two third Nephi five twenty three through twenty six employs both key verbs that the Genesis text uses to etiologize the name Joseph. It is significant that both verbs are juxtaposed with the name Ephraim in this prophecy of the gathering and restoration of the whole family of Israel. The verb form Yosef clearly evokes the name Joseph, as does the verb Weasaf, which further evokes images of gathering in, for example of fruit at the harvest. The presence of the name Ephraim suggests intentional onomastic allusions to Joseph. The root of Jesse in this prophecy is a figure clearly related to the stem of Jesse, the rod out of the stem of Jesse, and the branch that would ye pray, or grow, out of his roots, that verb echoing the name Ephraim. Significantly, Joseph Smith offered the following interpretation of Isaiah 11, 1 through 5 and 10, broadly identifying the stem, rod, and fruitful branch. Who is the stem of Jesse spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verses of the eleventh chapter of Isaiah? Verily thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. What is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the eleventh chapter of Isaiah that should come of, cf, grow out of, ye pray, the stem of Jesse? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a servant in the hands of Christ, who is partly a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Ephraim, or of the house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. What is the root of Jesse spoken of in the tenth verse of the eleventh chapter? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood, and the keys of the kingdom, for an ensign, and for the gathering of my people in the last days. D&C 1.13.1-6 Joseph offers his interpretations of these figures with divine authority, using the prophetic messenger formula, Thus saith the Lord. He identifies the stem of Jesse as Christ, However, he identifies the rod out of the stem of Jesse as someone distinct from Christ or the Messiah, i.e. an Ephraimite of Ephraim, or of the house of Joseph, who is also a descendant of Jesse, and thus presumably also partly of Judahite descent. A Righteous Branch from the Fruit of the Loins of Joseph when Jacob addressed the people of Nephi at their temple in the land of Nephi under the reign of the second king, in order to condemn Nephite materialism and the incipient practice of polygamy, Jacob began his address by using the FL collocation from the plates of brass. Wherefore thus saith the Lord, 
I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of mine arm, that I might raise up unto me a righteous branch, Siaf Tzemach Tzadik, from the fruit, Hebrew Pari, Egyptian PRT, of the loins of Joseph, Jacob 2.25. Jacob's language alludes first to Joseph's words as preserved in the JST Genesis 50.24-25. I, Joseph, have obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit, Hebrew Pari, Egyptian PRT, of my loins, the Lord God will raise up a righteous branch out of my loins, and unto thee whom my father Jacob hath named Israel a prophet, not the Messiah who is called Shiloh. And this prophet shall deliver my people out of Egypt in the days of thy bondage. And it shall come to pass that they shall be scattered again, C.F. Yosipu, and a branch shall be broken off, and shall be carried into a far country. Nevertheless, they shall be remembered in the covenants of the Lord when the Messiah cometh. Secondly, Jacob's language alludes to Lehi's use of the same text in his final admonition to his son Joseph. Wherefore Joseph, Yosef, truly sire day, and he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit, Hebrew Pari, Egyptian PRT, of his loins the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off. Second Nephi 3.5 Jacob had alluded to this prophecy on another occasion when addressing the Nephites. And now I, Jacob, speak unto you again, C.F. Osif, my beloved brethren, concerning this righteous branch of which I have spoken, Second Nephi 10.1. Jacob's repeated allusions to a righteous branch from Joseph and fruit echo the Genesis wordplay on Joseph and Ephraim, also establish a lexical, thematic, and onomastic context for Jacob's lengthy quotation of Zenos' allegory of the olive tree, which makes extensive use of fruit terminology and the Yasaf Yosif plus verbal component idiom, that I may preserve the fruit thereof unto myself. Jacob's use of a term translated fruit, almost certainly Hebrew Pari or its Egyptian cognate PRT, constitutes an important lightword in Zenos' allegory of the olive tree, Jacob 5, occurring some sixty-seven times, and a verb rendered grow, grew, occurring eight times. In the broad overarching context of the scattering and gathering, C.F. Hebrew, Asaf, and Joseph, of Israel, and couched in the terms of horticulture and harvest, it is difficult not to hear echoes of the name Ephraim and Joseph throughout the allegory. Add to the foregoing Zenos' apparent abundant use of the Hebrew Yasaf Yosef plus verbal idiom in describing iterative divine action on behalf of the vineyard that recalls the name Joseph, Yosef, that we may labor again in the vineyard, Jacob 5.29, and we will nourish again the trees of the vineyard, 5.58. I have grafted in the natural branches again into their mother tree, 5.60, that all may be nourished once again for the last time, 5.63. The branches of the natural tree will I graft in again into the natural tree, 567. Thus will I bring them together again, 568. This divine iterative, Yosef, action brings about the intended fruitfulness of the vineyard, recalling both the meaning of the name Joseph, may he add, may he do again, and the name Ephraim, doubly fruitful. 
that I may preserve again good fruit. Jacob 5.33 That the trees of my vineyard may bring forth again good fruit. 5.60 That I may have joy again in the fruit of my vineyard. 5.60 That I may bring forth again the natural fruit. 5.61 There began to be the natural fruit again in the vineyard. 5.73 The trees had brought forth again their natural fruit. 5.74 and it hath brought forth unto me again the natural fruit. 5.75 The allegory closes with the pairing of the same terms in connection with a final, post-millennial, eschatological gathering, when the time cometh that the evil fruit shall again come into my vineyard. Then will I cause the good and the bad to be gathered, and the good will I preserve unto myself. Jacob 5.77 the Hebraistic and Egyptianistic metonymy of fruit as posterity constitutes a critical hermeneutical key to understanding Zenos's allegory. If we fail to recognize this symbol, we will miss what the allegory is attempting to teach us about divine fruitfulness and God's love for his posterity. Statements of intent and purpose from the Lord of the vineyard, such as, I may preserve the fruit thereof unto myself, Jacob 5.8 CF verse 11 that I may preserve unto myself the natural branches of the tree and also that I may lay up fruit thereof against the season unto myself Jacob 5.13 that I may preserve the fruit unto mine own self Jacob 5.20 and 23 that I may preserve again good fruit thereof unto mine own self Jacob 5.33, CF 36-37, 46, 53-54, 60, and 74-75, must be understood with this symbolism in mind. The will of the Lord of the vineyard is, in essence, to seal his fruit or posterity his. See Mosiah 5.15, i.e. preserve or seal it to himself. Finally, we should point out that Jacob interprets Zenos's entire allegory of olive tree and the fruitfulness of the Lord's vineyard in terms of Isaiah 11.11, 11. And the day that he shall set his hand again, Yosef, the second time, to recover his people, Isaiah 11.11, 11, is the day, yea, even the last time, that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, and also that the end soon cometh. Jacob 6.2 As has been noted elsewhere, Isaiah's use of the Yosef idiom, especially as understood in a Nephite context, strongly hints at the name Joseph. Iterative divine action, Hebrew Yosef, on behalf of the vineyard in the allegory achieves its intended fruitfulness. Jacob, for behold, after they have been nourished by the good word of God all the day long, will ye bring forth evil fruit, that ye may be hewn down and cast into the fire? Jacob 6.7 Partaking of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4, or the heavenly gift, Hebrews 6.4, 4 Nephi 1.3, also 12.8, requires our bringing or producing again the natural fruit, Jacob 5.74 and bringing forth good fruit Jacob 5.27 and 54 Conclusion Whether he was named Ephraim doubly fruitful or twice fruitful or originally another derivational form of Pari fruit 
It is clear that the promises made by Jacob to Joseph passed on to his second son. While Joseph is the embodiment of Jacob's blessing, Ephraim represents its fulfillment. From a Latter-day Saint perspective, we understand that those promises and blessings are iterative and thus continue to find fulfillment in the descendants of Joseph. One modern-day revelation offers the following prophecy regarding the children of Ephraim, using the language of Jacob's blessing upon Joseph in Genesis 49. They who are in the north country shall bring forth their rich treasures unto the children of Ephraim my servants, and the boundaries of the everlasting hills shall tremble at their presence, and there shall they fall down and be crowned with glory even in Zion by the hands of the servants of the Lord, even the children of Ephraim, and they shall be filled with songs of everlasting joy. Behold, this is the blessing of the everlasting God upon the tribes of Israel, and the richer blessing upon the head of Ephraim and his fellows. D&C 133, 30-34 This prophecy of the coming of gathered Israel to the children of Ephraim, where they fall down and are crowned with glory, offers an imagistic look at what to come forth and fall down and partake of the fruit of the tree, First Nephi 8.30, CF also 3 Nephi 11, can look like within the context of the latter-day gathering of Israel. It also stands as a latter-day fulfillment of Joseph's dream in which he saw his father's family bow down to him, Genesis 37, 7-10, JST Genesis 48, 10-11. Moreover, it shows how the children of Ephraim, as servants of the Lord, stand as types of Jesus Christ himself, the firstborn and firstfruit of God the Father. The richer blessing, or double portion, CFP Shanaim, that rests upon the head of Ephraim and his fellows, makes it incumbent that latter-day Ephraimites always nourish the word and look forward with faith to the fruit of the tree of life, or the tree springing up unto everlasting life within them. Alma 32.41, 33.23 Then they will, as Jesus stated, bring forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Matthew 8.13 and 23 as we have endeavored to show, the Hebrew Bible consistently associates the name Ephraim with fruitfulness. The book of Genesis in particular makes the name and naming of Joseph's son Ephraim the culmination of a fruitfulness theme that begins with the creation account and inexorably moves toward the miracle of God's making Abraham and Sarah fruitful out of barrenness. The Lord reiterates these promises with Abraham's posterity. He fulfills his promise to make Jacob, Israel, fruitful, as his son Joseph becomes doubly fruitful in Ephraim. All of the foregoing helps us to appreciate the promises made to the patriarchs as a backdrop to divine fruitfulness, at which the names Joseph and Ephraim, the prophecies of Isaiah and Zenos' allegory, all hint. Abraham received promises concerning his seed, and of the fruit of his loins, from whose loins ye are, namely my servant Joseph, which were to continue so long as they were in the world, and as touching Abraham and his seed, out of the world they should continue, both in the world and out of the world should they continue as innumerable as the stars, or if ye were to count the sand upon the seashore, ye could not number them.
This promise is yours also, because ye are of Abraham, and the promise was made unto Abraham. And by this law is the continuation of the works of my Father, wherein he glorifieth himself. D&C 132, 30-31 We live in the time of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, that the desert shall rejoice and blossom, weti prach, as the rose. Isaiah 35, 1 even the time that the Lamanite shall blossom as the rose. D&C 49.24 However, the Lord's warning to the Latter-day Saints of Kirtland, Ohio in 1831 remains in effect for Latter-day Saints today. For verily I say that the rebellious are not of the blood of Ephraim, wherefore they shall be plucked out. D&C 64.36 in the final analysis, we believe that the complex nexus of onomastic connections and associations with Ephraim throughout ancient scripture are ultimately better understood as reflecting the work of ancient authors who knew and used Hebrew and Egyptian rather than that of a 19th century frontier English speaker. This has been a recording of Thou Art the Fruit of My Loins, the interrelated symbolism and meanings of the names Joseph and Ephraim in ancient scripture by Matthew L. Bowen and Lauren Blake Spendlove, originally published in Interpreter, a journal of Mormon scripture, volume 28, 2018, pages 273 through 298, read by Lauren Blake Spendlove. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com.